This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Sacra to McDavid on the right half boards. Dishes Hall, one touch, wrist shot, score! Leon Bryson, a power play goal! 6-2! Oilers in the Rexall finale! Raleigh, he's going to keep it. He hits the five. Hey, Edmonton, that's your quarterback! Mike Riley to the end zone! Touchdown, Eskimo! Ladies and gentlemen, Dagger! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in tonight. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Will the Stanley Cup be handed out tomorrow night? Pittsburgh on home ice with a chance to win it against the San Jose Sharks. Of course, that game will be broadcast right here on 6.30, Chet, starting at 6 o'clock. Meanwhile, the NBA Finals continuing this evening. Tip-off in about an hour. Golden State rolling into Cleveland with a 2-0 series lead. The Blue Jays winning a matinee in Detroit. 7-2 over the Tigers. Josh Donaldson had a three-run homer. He also nailed a triple in the game. How about this? We will be updating CFL preseason action tonight. Montreal taking on Winnipeg. Remember that first Eskimos preseason game on 6.30, Ched, on Saturday, 5.30 for the pregame show. The game will start at 7. My name is Reed Wilkins. On the show tonight, in a couple of minutes, we will get to Kelly Rudy talking about the Stanley Cup final. Rob Brown, former Pittsburgh Penguins, going to chime in as well. He's your Oilers radio network analyst here on Overtime Open Line on 630 Chad. Dave Campbell with the latest from Eskimos Camp. We will go to Scott Russell with CBC. I feel like I should say that's like uh, Brian Williams, Matthew Panashik. We will go to Scott Russell at around 0734 Mountain Time tonight to get an update on uh, what's going on with the uh, Summer Olympics. I think about 58 days. 58 days till they start in Rio. And uh, some uh, doom and gloom around the Olympics. Ryan Marsh from the Oil Kings getting a good opportunity with Hockey Canada. We'll tell you about that. And uh, a little golf chat about Tiger Woods and the U.S. Open with Dick Zokel, former PGA Tour player. He's now the head pro at Predator Ridge in uh, British Columbia. That's near Vernon. All right. We will also have tonight, for your listening enjoyment and for Matthew Panashik's enjoyment. First of all, Matthew, how are you doing? I'm great, Reed. We will have the first ever Matthew Panashik Trivia Challenge. You will be getting one question per half hour based on that half hour's guest. How does that sound? That sounds great. I know I didn't tell you we're going to do this because that's the type of guy I am. A true tr- test of your trivia knowledge centered on what happens with inside sports. We'll see how you do. You're going to get six questions. Are you nervous? No, I'm cool as ice. You're going to be fine. You're as cool as a cucumber. Cooler than the other side of the pillow. You're the shakutami cucumber. Except you're from Edmonton. 
All right. As always, you can reach us on the phone line, 780-496-0063. You can text 63630. And as always, with some uh, bad weather in the area, we rely on you to keep us and everybody listening updated so you can let us uh, know what is moving through your part of town. For example, Rocky texted in a couple of minutes ago and say uh, Leduc is getting it now pretty bad, so the storm hitting Leduc. Again, text 63630. Uh, oh, I'll give you the number straight to the newsroom as well as 780-466-NEWS. All right, we will bring in our weekly contributor here to Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now with the NHL on Rogers. It is Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How about you? I'm doing very well. Great to have you on the show. You've been so generous with your time throughout the playoff run that maybe, just maybe, is going to end tomorrow night. Just maybe. I know. So, uh, well, that, the good news is we still have some good hockey in front of us. But uh, just on a personal note, what that might mean is that uh, I think day or Friday would be day 60 for me in the hotel. So that means I get to go home, and that would be another wonderful thing. Yeah. So <laughs> you become a regular at all the coffee shops in the area, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows me. I have my usual coffee run in the morning and then – Go get my salad. It's usually a, a different, like four or five different places, and all this routine. And so, and and now that we finally have some days off, the hotel that I'm staying at has this beautiful uh, concierge lounge on the top floor, and it overlooks the city of uh, downtown Toronto, and it's beautiful. And so, of course, the staff know myself and my wife go up there on off days and have a glass of wine just before heading out for dinner. So. Everything is fantastic from that standpoint. Yeah, well, right on. It sounds it sounds cool. Hey, uh, before we talk about the, the Penguins and all the good things they've done, I, I, I want to go back to Game 3 with you. Now, I was watching that game uh, with a buddy. We were having a pint, at a, and they were not playing the sound on the game. Yeah. When that overtime goal went in, Don Scoy up high, short side on Murray. I was like, oh, man, right. I wish I could hear Kelly after the game. Because I, you've, you you don't like – well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll ask the right. question. What do you think of that style of uh, goaltending and allowing that type of goal? Well, on that play, that's somewhat different, Reed. So that one, uh, I don't mind uh, the style. Um, the reverse uh, VH, when you think of how Don Scoy came around um, and, and also – to that point, it looked as though uh, Malkin had accidentally deflected it. So it was it was a shot, I think, intended to go a little bit lower, uh, deflected along the way, and so it uh, elevates up and over Murray. So in that one, and I heard other people say that they didn't like the goal. I, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I read something where Kevin Weeks said that he didn't like that move simply for that reason. But uh, mine is more read on really uh, more sharp angle than that even and closer to the goal line. So this situation played out a little bit differently. Uh, I do think to a certain degree inexperience had a part of it. Um, I read some comments that Murray thought he could have done something differently. More what I would expect on that play as he becomes more experienced. Then he had recognized that he's got to get off the goal line. So he's got to propel himself out closer to the shooter himself, Donskoy in this situation, simply because all the body language uh, displayed by Donskoy before shooting suggested that he's not passing. He's a shooter all the way in this play. And so I think just taking away some of that uh, distance would have been beneficial, even if the puck was deflected. You never know. It might have hit him. But uh, that play in itself is – 
It is interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up because there's so many different ways that you can stop a puck. And and I, I do think that the way the guys do today, it looks a lot more fun than the way we had to do it, in part because of the equipment. You and I have had this discussion before, but it also it, it's it's getting back to being a very athletic style, which I love because about 10 uh, years ago, it's very much a blocking position. And now we're seeing guys allowed to read a play, use their athleticism, and for a lot of those those reasons and many others, I just think the position is so fun right now again. Well, a lot of star players at that position, obviously, and and Murray, uh, I mean, you wouldn't have thought he's playing at this type of year, but which leads me to this question. if you, And you were a goaltender. If you're Mark andre Fleury, like, what is what is going through your mind? Because, you know, he's he's played, and, you know, you need 20 guys every game and all that kind of stuff. But, Kelly, you know when nights you were the backup mm-hmm. goalie, you, you yeah. couldn't have felt as part of it the same way. That's exactly it. You feel excluded. You're hurt. You're disappointed. Um, you're angry. You have all sorts of different emotions going through you. But also at the same time, because we know this with Flurry, he's a tremendous teammate, so he's very supportive as well. And he'll be giving Murray all sort of sorts of tips on situations, on shooters, on all sorts of different things. Um, and, and I'm sure Murray's asking plenty of questions as well. But there's no, no doubt about it. Um, he'll be very happy for Murray and what's happened in his young life and so on, young NHL career. But the bottom line is that uh, this this would really really bother him and be it would really hurt. There's no question about it. Kelly Rudy joining us inside sports on 6:30. Chad, so it could end tomorrow night. I, I know I picked the uh, the, the San Jose Sharks. Uh, I think I think I think a lot of people did. I think on ESPN, yeah. something like 16 out of 21 guys uh, yeah. picked the Sharks. Hasn't gone that way. The scores have been close. Sometimes the territory and the shots haven't been. Uh, anything surprised you about this series, or what's allowed the Penguins to kind of keep control most of the time? I think it's their overall team game. It started in the first round of the playoffs when you look at the Penguins' roster, and they did such an amazing job of getting through the Rangers, and pretty easily, too. And when you look at it and you go, okay, well, how were they able to do that? So then you look at the games there and you go back in the regular season when Mike Sullivan joined them, and this is a really structured team, and I love using this line. It's quite popular in the NHL right now. They just muddy up the neutral zone. They make it really difficult for the other team to get through there defensively. They all play. They all support each other. So that what is a fairly unknown defense other than Latang is getting so much help from their forwards, and they play very simple in that uh, once the puck's in their own zone, if they get their stick on it, they uh, they fire the puck out. Sometimes it's a tape-to-tape pass, but often it's just throwing the puck into an area and let the, their speedy forward skate into it. So it's a real simple game they play. Uh, sounds like, and you've watched a lot of our broadcasts, I, I imagine, and they have amazing communication. Like, they are always talking on the bench, and, and in some situations it looks kind of awkward because uh, it looks like Hornquist and Crosby get into it quite often, at least every single game, but they're able to to get through their uh, situation and, and play for each other. So it's, it's kind of unique. It's kind of cool. 
not that you don't have that, but I don't think you see that sort of dramatic interaction uh, every single game like you do with Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's been quite amusing, actually. I'm watching some, yeah. of, <laughs> some of those videos yeah. between Ordquist and... Uh, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's because a couple of times it looks like Crosby has been almost like, can you, enough? Like, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, there was that really funny one that uh, Crosby was sitting beside Hornquist. Tunitz was standing on the ice. Of course, it's during a break and play, and we record it during the uh, the commercial TV timeout. But Hornquist and, and uh, Kunitz were really going at it this time. They, they were the two involved. And Crosby's looking over his right shoulder at Hornquist, and finally he just turns his head to the left and starts shaking his head. I thought it was really funny how, you know, they all feel at times that enough is enough already. Who was the who was the yappiest guy you ever played with, e- either within your dressing room or towards the other team? Oh boy, I would have to say Marty McSorley was right up there. He was really clever. He was really funny most often. And uh, maybe Warren Reichel. I oh. played with Warren, yeah, in Los Angeles. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, he was a rookie. We were a, a, a team of a lot of veterans and influential guys when you think of, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, Marty. Uh, Coffee would have been on that team at that point. Uh, Tony Granado, Thomas Sandstrom, all these big names. And, uh, man, he, Warren just fit in perfectly with our group. He kept us really light. And uh, But I do remember a conversation. He was living with Paul Coffey at the time, I think, in Manhattan Beach. And uh, it was uh, early in the season, and we all received our first cha- uh, paycheck of the season. And, uh, of course, th- that would have meant that it would have been Warren Reichel's first ever NHL check. And uh, so he's pretty darn excited, right? I don't know what that number would have looked like, but it would have been a pretty good number even back then for a rookie. And uh, so they're driving home after practice, and Koff uh, is driving, and he says, hey, Rook, let me see your paycheck. So Warren opens up the envelope and gives it to him. <laughs> and without hesitating, Koff looks at him and says, what, do you got a paper route? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. There are some really funny guys that you play with. And, uh, geez, if you could only remember a quarter uh, of those stories, it would be amazing. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's that's a good one. Well, Kelly, you've been in Toronto long enough to maybe have started a paper route in your free time. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, thanks for... Uh, I, I walked the same way to the studio. I could do that on the way yeah, as well. Yeah, make a little extra money on the side. <laughs> well, uh, one way or another, whether we're teeing up Game 7 or, or talking about uh, the, the Penguins' win and, and heading into the off season, we'll do this one more time next week. Thanks so much for your time, man. Enjoy. Okay, my pleasure. I'll talk to you next week, Reed. Sure thing. That is Kelly Rudy checking in from Toronto, where he's been for pretty much two months in a hotel room, being a uh, panelist you see on the NHL coverage on Rogers. Of course, uh, very important for us to keep you updated on the weather. I know a couple of texts in the last few minutes about uh, the storm hitting Cold Lake and uh, a couple of texts here about rain hitting Mill Woods. You can text 630-630 or let our newsroom know what is happening, 780-466-6397. Remember, we're trying to help out people, too, where the storm might be moving in their direction so they know what to expect. We'll keep uh, rolling with the sports chat. Of course, news and weather every half hour here on 630. Chad Rob Brown is coming up. His former franchise could win the Cup tomorrow night and... 
part one of the Matthew Panasiuk Trivia Challenge when we get back. You're listening to 630 Ted Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. This is, uh, this is Andrew W.K., is it not? He's the Penguins uh, guy, right? They're playing his music, aren't they? Featuring his music during the playoffs. So there we go. A link between Andrew W.K. and the potential Stanley Cup champions. Game on 6.30, Chet, tomorrow night. Blue Jays won 7-2 this afternoon. NBA Finals resume in about 40 minutes. Golden State at Cleveland. All right, Matthew Panashik, for fun, we're going to give you one trivia question per half hour. I gave you no preparation, no time to study. All I've told you is that I, I will tie in the trivia question to that half hour's guest and or topic. Fair enough? Okay. Uh, so that's a total of six questions. Tell you what, you got to get four right. Three, three, <laughs> three strikes and you're out. Whew. Who did Kelly Rudy play for in the Western Hockey League? Oh, Medicine Hat. Medicine Hat! Ding, 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 ding. I didn't get any sound effects ready, so I'm just going to make them myself. Good job, buddy. That's one right. You feel a little relaxed now? I'm not yeah, gonna, that's I'm not, great. I'm not going like to try that. to embarrass you and ask you impossible questions. Like, you know. What's the exact uh, circumference of Kelly Rudy's little toe on his right foot? I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> this portion of the show brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or it's free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Rob Brown is coming up after the 6.30 news and weather. Daniel Stilwell will tell you what's going on in the headlines and what is going on with the skies and the clouds and the rain and all that stuff. The latest from Eskimos camp ahead on the show as well with Dave Campbell. Talk a little uh, receiver, talk a little quarterback as the Eskimos get ready to face the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday night. We're back after the news. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. Well, that is exactly what you're listening to. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's 633. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Maria Sharapova, two-year suspension for that failed drug test. More on that a little bit later on. We got Rob Brown coming up. In about a minute, as the Penguins will try to win the Stanley Cup tomorrow night. Golden State already in control of the NBA Finals, up 2-0. In Cleveland tonight, Cavaliers forward LeBron James says he needs to be a playmaker tonight. i got to do a, a job of trying to give my guys some looks uh, when I attract the double team or I attract guys in transition and get those guys going. All right, and we'll keep you updated on that game. It's going to start in about half an hour as we bring in from the Oilers Radio Network. You hear him with me on Overtime Open Line after every Oilers game. It is Rob Brown. Rob, thanks for making time for me tonight, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Reed? Good, good, good. I uh, should should ask you quickly uh, because I know a lot of people are tuning in to us this evening for weather updates uh, as well. Are you are you in St. Albert right now? Yes. And are you getting a storm there? Or what's going on? Um, 
it looks yucky outside, but right now, uh, no rain, no wind, just kind of, just kind of dark. Okay. Well, thanks for that. It appears, anyway, from what we're getting, most of the rain might actually be going to uh, the south side of Edmonton. All right. So, uh, thank you for that, weatherman Rob Brown. <laughs> well, you know, Saint, we don't get rain in Saint Albert. It's always sunny here. It's always sunny in Saint Albert. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that should be a TV. That should be a TV show. Maybe you and me could be like, uh, sort of like an odd couple type thing. We could own a pub or something. That would be nice. That's all. Right. All right. Can you check Rob's connection there, Matthew? I assume uh, Rob said something. Because uh, uh, I think we're, he was breaking up a little bit. I'm gonna. We're, I'm assume Rob said something really funny. Charming, clever, something like that. <laughs> but, but he was uh, he was uh, he was uh, cutting out. Uh, Rob Brown, of course, uh, won a championship in his hockey career. Are we going to try to reconnect with him, Matthew? Okay, we'll try to get him back on the phone. We do have CFL preseason action uh, tonight. Winnipeg up three nothing on Montreal. First CFL preseason game. They're late in the first quarter. Uh, that Maria Sharapova story, suspended two years for doping. Here's what's going on. Sharapova has been suspended for testing positive for meldonium at the Australian Open and has immediately responded by saying she'll appeal the decision. The five-time Grand Slam champion was provisionally suspended in early March when she announced she'd failed a doping test. She said then she wasn't aware that the World Anti-Doping Agency had barred athletes from using meldonium as of January 1. Her lawyer said Sharapova took the substance after that. The new ruling finds Sharapova did not intend to cheat but bore sole responsibility and a very significant fault for the positive test. Charles de la Desma, London. Uh, no one ever intended to cheat. They didn't know what they were taking. They didn't know what the rules were. Uh, that's a pretty familiar refrain when it comes to these types of stories. All right, I believe we have uh, reconnected with Rob Brown. Rob, can, can we hear you now? You can hear me now. Oh. You can hear me now. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, all right, so uh, your former team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, can win it all tomorrow. Well, they got three chances to win it all. I want to ask you, if I, if I recall correctly, it was 2002. You were a member of the Chicago Wolves, and you won the American Hockey League title. Tell me what the day or two is like leading up to the game where you know you're ahead in the series and, and you know you're one win away. Can you focus the same way? Can you treat it like any other game? What are the Penguins going through right now? Well, it was, I was a little different. It was funny, well, funny in, a, in an odd way. My, my grandfather had fallen ill just before we were up, I think, 3-1 in our series, and my grandfather fell ill, and I actually flew to Ontario. My, our owner gave us his jet. We flew up to Ontario for the day before, and we just got back in time for the game. Uh, so the thoughts weren't on the game, but I know being in series, being close to championships, you start thinking ahead. I, I've done it in junior. I've been in uh, world junior, stuff like that. You just you start, you don't want it to creep into your mind, but you start thinking about what it would be like to be a champion, what it would be like to win a Stanley Cup, what the celebration would be like, things along that line. And that's what the coaching staff and the leaders on the team are right now trying to keep the guys out of their heads, just to, to focus simply on the hockey game. But on the other hand, it, I've been on the other side where the San Jose Sharks are too, where you negative thoughts come into your head. Uh, you know, you're sitting there at your, your pregame breakfast, and you're all trying to talk positive, but you know the daunting task that you have ahead of you, and you know that in the first three, four games of this series, you've been outplayed in those games. Now, now you're thinking, okay, I mean, what, what if we get a bad call? Then what if we get a bad bounce? What if we get a bad break? So both teams have thoughts going through their heads, and it's up to the coaching staff right now to get their players to focus 
strictly on what's at hand because San Jose right now thinks if we win this game, we get it back to San Jose, the ball's back in our court. And the Pittsburgh Penguins are thinking right now, we do not want to go back to San Jose. We want to win it here on home ice. So it should be a... It should be a, a, a fun game, and it's been a fun series to watch. Well, the games, have, I mean, the scores have been close, even though there have been extended stretches where the shots and the territory have been in, in pretty strong advantage for the Pittsburgh Penguins. What's what surprised you, if anything, what surprised you the most about this series, Rob, with, with how it's gone and how the Penguins have been able to do a lot of good things? Uh, I think what surprised me the most about the Penguins is how fast they are how tenacious they are. You know, the San Jose Sharks are a good hockey club. And I know I've read some things lately about, you know, it's another disappointing finish and, and along that line. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, they've just run into a very good team. I mean, San Jose, and they, they've talked about it, they don't have time to make any plays. Every time the puck's on one of their star stick, he's got one, two, three guys coming right at him. And they just, to me, it's just I'm shocked at how fast Pittsburgh is from top to bottom. And I think the biggest thing I've noticed about the Penguins is depth, and I think that uh, being a fan of the Edmonton Oilers and seeing over the last couple of years, you know, the struggles that the Oilers have had against the good teams, against the Western Conference, and a lot of it is the Oilers don't have the depth of a Penguin team. The Penguins right now, they've got two first lines, one with Crosby, one with Malcolm. They have a third line that would be the first line on a majority of the teams in the league and the second line on almost every one of them. And then the other night, and they're in a game, they got a one-goal lead a minute to go on, on home ice, and they have their fourth line on the ice mm-hmm. to try and win them a game. So their depth is absolutely amazing. And I think right now you're starting to see the San Jose Sharks are top-heavy. They don't have the depth that Pittsburgh can throw out there. So Pittsburgh, they don't have to you know, play their best players shift after shift after shift because they've got guys and confidence in guys that can play all night long in any situation. Well, and I mean, the guys like Sheary and Rust, well, and even Murray to some extent, I mean, guys you wouldn't have thought much at the beginning of the season, stepping up, guys who were drafted, you know, not high first-round draft picks or anything like that, scoring a lot of big goals for the team. And the Sharks now are in that situation where they're not really getting goals from anyone. I mean, not even the guys that were, were expected to score. So that's been interesting how how uh, how that has gone for sure. Rob Brown joining us tonight inside Sports on 630 Chet. It is 641. We'll have the Penguins and the Sharks for you uh, starting at 6 o'clock tomorrow right here on 630 Chet. Maybe our final live hockey broadcast uh, of of the season. Uh, I know we uh, we always said, Rob, we, we knew at one point, uh, well, we, we you know, we reached the point during this past season where it, it looked like it wasn't going to work out for, for Justin Schultz in Edmonton. And he's he's a perfect example on the back end. If he's playing, I mean, some nights he's played a little more, some nights he's played 10, 11, 12 minutes. It just goes to show you, you got to have the structure of that roster. And you can't players in a position to do things or carry responsibilities that that is beyond their skill set and or maturity of, of where they are well and, and we saw that in, in excuse me in Edmonton with Justin Schultz he, he was uh, you know a sought after free agent he had a ton of skill we saw him in the minors what he could do down there and he gets up here and the expectations uh, for him were just way too high they had him playing 24 25 minutes a night playing against the other team's best players uh, having to, to run a power play unit. Uh, he, was, he, penalty, he did everything, and he just got wore down. And what happens when you are put into positions where you don't succeed, your confidence gets frayed. And the, the player that we saw at the beginning when he first came to Edmonton became a different player later in his career. 
because all of a sudden the guy that would jump up in the play, lead the rush, he got nervous because every time he played against a team with, and he was going against the other team's best players, if a mistake was made, it ended up and it was in his net. So all of a sudden he's like, okay, I'm not getting scored on, but it took away from the offensive part of his game. In Pittsburgh, he doesn't have to be that guy. They've got a guy, Chris Letang, who was made for that role. They put him in third-pairing minutes. They play him against the other team's third and fourth lines. He runs their second power play unit. And now all of a sudden the, the 15, 16 minutes you get out of him are a very controlled 15, 16 minutes, and they're a successful one. And I, I've watched a number of the Penguins games in the playoffs, and I'm, you're not seeing the big mistake from Justin Schultz. He's playing within himself. He, he's allowed to do what he does best, and he's not asked to do more than that. And he's having success, and it's a bunch of players on Pittsburgh. I mean, Phil Kessel was... You know, he was a lightning rod for, for fans and for critics and, and, and press in, in Toronto. He's put into Pittsburgh. He doesn't have to be the star. He doesn't have to be the, the talk piece for the, for the team. He plays third-roll minutes, and he's leading the team in scoring in the playoffs. So cast-offs from a bunch of other teams are put in the right position in Pittsburgh, and the right position has allowed the Pittsburgh Penguins to be one game away from the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, Rob, in, in the first half hour of the show, I had Kelly Rudy on, the, on, on, and he made a reference about the Penguins muddying up the neutral zone. And I found that interesting, and you and I talked about that after several Oilers games this season or, or leading into games where Todd McClellan talked about uh, you know, not being able to transport the puck through the neutral zone. Certainly the games against Anaheim that the Oilers played, the Ducks controlled the neutral zone. I mean, we often don't talk about it a lot because we talk about what happens near the nets. So either how you're attacking or how you're defending that front area of the net. But, I mean, we see that the teams that spend time on it and that can control that middle of the ice, they often control what's going on in the two end zones as well. Well, when, when they're defending, they don't give you any free ice in the neutral zone. So the, the star players of San Jose aren't coming in with speed. They're not coming in with numbers. Uh, the Penguins are, are very aggressive. And I, it was funny, they did an interview, and I think it was Ian Cole the other day, was being interviewed during one of the games, and the, the reporter, or the, the, the person who was asking the question, said, you know, you guys have got free reign of jumping up in the play, and all the defensemen are jumping up the play. And he talked about the fact that, oh, it creates chances, but he goes, if we don't get the chance... Now we're in perfect defensive positioning because we've got very close gaps. So that means he's the, the players that are coming out on San Jose, if they turn the puck over and start coming out, the, the Penguin defensemen are right on them. So now if you're, if you're right on, the defender's right on the San Jose player, it slows the San Jose player down, which also allows the Pittsburgh back checker to get back pressure on him. So now the player, say it's a Logan Couture, he's got, he looks up and all of a sudden right there's Latang. So he has to slow down. And as he slows down, well, here comes Haglin from behind. So now he's got two guys checking him. And that's what the Penguins do in the neutral zone. They just, they got such good gap, such good back pressure, that the San Jose Sharks' only play is just to shoot it off the boards and hope they win a, a race. And the Penguins are a faster team, and they're winning most of the races. Well, yeah, and we, yeah, we've seen plenty of examples of that for sure. All right, so uh, the game tomorrow night, if the, if the Sharks do win and force a Game 6, that is coming up on Sunday, and if they, they win again, I'm getting ahead of myself, and force a Game 7, that would be one week from tonight, but uh, a ways to go there. Let me ask you this. I'll throw one more at you, Rob. Uh, I mean, Crosby, Kessel, Murray most often talked about who's your Conn Smythe winner, especially if the Penguins close it out tomorrow. I mean, it's easy to pick. It's, it's always the winning goaltender always gets consideration right because you, you don't win out without a good goalie and murray's been outstanding and he has and it's hard not to give it to him i mean crosby doesn't put up the points that you would expect from Sidney crosby but 
his tenacity and his leadership on the ice have been great. Kessel's winning uh, the scoring race. Uh, to me, I mean, I, I don't want to look too far past Chris Letang either. I mean, if you, I mean, if you walk down the street right now and ask someone, okay, name name the defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins, most people are going to get stuck on Chris Letang. They won't know anyone after him. I didn't know half the defensemen after him starting this playoff. I mean, he, I, when you watch him play, you start to understand his importance to the Penguins and how good he really is. So to me, if I'm picking, it's between Latang and Crosby. One of those two guys would become Mike Smythe. Yeah, well, you're right. I should have mentioned Latang too because of what he brings on on the back end, and we've seen him make uh, you know several very sharp plays along the way. Rob, thanks for making time for us, man. It's always great to have you on the show, and enjoy another evening in paradise in St. Albert, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the sun is shining out there right now. There's a rainbow, little angels floating down. It's just beautiful here right now. <laughs> Take care, buddy. <laughs> Take care. That's uh, Rob Brown in St. Albert, our analyst here on the Oilers Radio Network. we got a couple texts coming in to 630-630, of course, about Justin Schultz. I didn't realize we'd uh, still be talking about him this deep uh, into the spring. We'll touch on those. Another uh, Matthew Panasic trivia challenge question still ahead. It's 648 Inside Sports on Ched. You're listening to 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's Inside Sports on 6:30 Chad. Brad has texted the show to 6:30 6:30. Uh, he says, considering the Oilers played 20 games without Schultz after the trade deadline and were 500 without him, why didn't they play him 12 minutes a night with zero penalty killing and easy zone starts too? Why was it all or nothing? He didn't play at all for 20 games. Surely he could have played 12 minutes a game for the first 60. That is from Brad. Well, I mean, that's the age-old question. I guess without the ability to read Todd McClellan's mind, and quite frankly, the minds of the other coaches who had Justin Schultz, who still usually played him a fair bit as well. I mean, look, this this speaks to the, the to the problem with the Oilers' defense. So you know, as I as I as I said this, I said this to you guys many times during the season. Uh, because what? Who were some of the players whose ice time was questioned this season? Some, a lot of you, well, probably all of you, thought Schultz played too much. A lot of you thought Korpakowski played too much. Uh, a lot of you thought Yakupov. Well, some of you thought Yakupov didn't play enough. I mean, those were some of the three questions, at least I remember from a couple of months ago. Uh, the players whose ice time was questioned the most. So then you have to ask yourself: Okay, either Todd McClellan is a complete idiot and decided to coach the Oilers and forget everything he ever knew about hockey and just do stupid things because he's incompetent. So either you believe that, which I don't, and I think most of you don't, though I know he has his detractors, or there were other, there were other factors at play. Uh, I, I mean, I had a, somebody else texted saying, is it true that Schultz had guaranteed minutes in his contract? I never heard that. I'd be stunned if that was put in there. So, I mean, if you set aside conspiracy theories and if you set aside Todd McClellan turning into a moron from the time he left San Jose to came to the Oilers, what happened? So, Brad specifically references um, 
the last 20 games of the season. We're right. I think the Oilers were 9-9-2 and over the last 20 games after they took Schultz and Purcell out of the lineup. Well, let's just look at, let's just pick one game. So just for argument's sake, let's pick the last game of the season when the Oilers play, played in Vancouver. Justin Schultz obviously was off the roster. Um, you had injuries on de- defense, most notice, most uh, notably to Oscar Kleffbaum, who'd been out a long time, and Brandon Davidson, who missed the last few weeks of the season. The Oilers' six defensemen in that final game against the Vancouver Canucks were Sekera, Party, Nurse, Osterley, Reinhardt, and Fain. I mean, look at that bunch and ask yourself who is definitely, without a doubt, a better defenseman than Justin Schultz. I mean, the only one that I would say for sure is Sekera and probably Nurse, though he's still learning the game, learning the game at the NHL level. Um, So, I mean, that group, some nights after Schultz was gone, did a passable job. Hey, Jordan Osterley, I I mean, he had games near the end of the season where he logged a couple nights he was over 25 minutes, right? But if you're going into a game with Schultz and Osterley, you're still thinking Schultz is probably a better option at least if I'm coaching. So is this, I mean, so again, I guess you have to ask yourself, and I'm not going to necessarily tell you you're right or wrong, but if I'm looking at this, is this a Schultz problem? Is this a coaching problem? Or is this a roster makeup problem? I think it's mostly a roster makeup problem. Because if, I mean, I always saw Justin Schultz as a middle pairing defenseman who can help your power play. Rob and I said that the the previous year in in 14-15. Maybe even that was an overestimation, but he certainly can play in the NHL and do a decent job as he is with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's why why a lot of you and a lot of the speculation is is that the Oilers have to, have to, have to upgrade this defense. Oh, Griba was also hurt at the end of the season. So, and, and Todd McClellan wanted to play fast, hard, and supportive. And he won, and we were talking about the neutral zone. The Oilers did not get the puck through the neutral zone very well this season, whether it was by passing it to help get it through or through skating it through. Though they, though they certainly had a couple of quick guys who could transport it through. So if if you're saying to yourself, I mean, here's here's the rub for the Oilers. The first 60 games of the season. Who ha- who stands a better chance of making a good pass to get the puck out of your own end? A better chance. Justin Schultz or Eric Greiba? Well, you take Justin Schultz. I mean, as, as flawed as he is and, and as many deficiencies he had in his game and as how rattled his confidence was, you'd still look at him as a coach and say, if the this guy can get the puck on his stick, he's still going to do more with it than Eric Greiba or Mark Fain or Adam Party or, or Griffin Reinhardt. That, that's how I look at the situation the Oilers were in, and that's how I look at Schultz continuing to play quite a bit while he was an oiler and unfortunately this is the, this is a situation the team has been in far too often why did Leon Dreisaitl make the team as an 18 year old there was legitimately no one to beat him out of the roster and for, beat him out and force him to go back to junior and that's why I, I always said going into that year when people said will Dreisaitl be on the team I said yes because there aren't four centers better than him within the organization how much of that is on Leon how much of that is on the coach how much of that is on the way the roster was assembled. You can text 630-630-780-496-0063. 
Matthew Panashik, and what? Uh, how many goals did Rob Brown score in the 88-89 season? Oh, 49. You're two for two. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.